All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner. And we're beginning this week and going through the entire month of November. We are talking about the second half of the article on repentance, and especially in regards to confession, satisfaction, and absolution. So today we're just going to start with the beginning portion of that and talk about that absolution is necessary for you and for me. Not just confession, but absolution is absolutely necessary, if you'll pardon the pun. We're going to look at the first 15 paragraphs, kind of his introduction to this half of the article. We're going to look at paragraphs 1 through 8, real short, primarily one sentence for each paragraph reference. Good people can easily conclude that it is very important that the true doctrine be preserved about the above-mentioned parts, contrition and faith. Therefore, we have always been busier with making these topics clear and have argued nothing as yet about confession and satisfaction. We also keep confession, especially because of the absolution. Absolution is God's word, which by divine authority, the power of the keys pronounces upon individuals. Therefore, it would be wicked to remove private absolution from the church. If anyone despises private absolution, he does not understand what the forgiveness of sins or the power of the keys is. Regarding the complete listing of offenses in confession, we have said above that we hold that it is not necessary by divine right. Some object to this, saying that a judge should investigate a case before he rules on it, which has nothing to do with this subject. The ministry of absolution is favor or grace. It is not a legal process or law. Ministers in the church have the command to forgive sins. They do not have the command to investigate secret sins. Indeed, they absolve us from those sins that we do not remember. For that reason, absolution, which is the voice of the gospel, forgiving sins and comforting consciences, does not require judicial examination. Okay, so far, paragraphs 1 through 8. A lot of stuff in here, especially starting off with paragraph 2. We also keep confession. People have said, no, 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 Lutherans don't have confession like the Catholics do. That's very true and yet not true true at the same time. We have confession. We even have private confession, which is what this is primarily talking about, because there was no idea of the corporate confession like we have at the beginning of Divine Services and Lutheran Service Book. Everything was private confession. We keep it not because of confession. We keep it because of absolution. Absolution is necessary because it is there that God's word is pronounced. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This works just the same as the pastor standing in front of the congregation or you and the pastor in his office or in the sanctuary or wherever else that you have gone for confession. The words mean the same because of the power of the keys and because of the gospel that is there in the absolution. Therefore, Melanchthon writes, it would be wicked to remove private absolution from the church. But that's exactly what happened with pietism and what happened with this idea that we don't need 
the pasture to forgive our sins. This is why we got this whole preparatory rite of confession absolution at the beginning of our services, because people stopped using the gift. People stopped going for private confession, and they got lost. And so that the pastors could say that they could give communion, because if we get to the sacraments, we give the sacraments to those who have been examined and absolved. And if there's nobody coming for private absolution, who's absolved then? And this is the point. Private absolution is a wonderful thing. It is a great blessing from God because it is the pure gospel being given to you. And if you don't understand this, ask. Email me, wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the post for this or even on the Wrestling With Theology Facebook page. Either one. Or ask your pastor, what is it about private confession and absolution? What is so great about it? Then see what the answer is. But I'll give you my answer anyway. Private confession and absolution is that moment where not only do you hear the words proclaimed, but they are proclaimed to you directly. You can't say it went to somebody else in the congregation. They're spoken to you. It drives the message of the gospel deep into your heart, knowing that your sins, not your neighbor's sins, but your sins have been forgiven. And that gives us great comfort in our consciences. Because if you do despise private confession absolution, even just saying, well, that's a Roman Catholic thing. Brothers and sisters, we've given way too much away, either to the Roman Catholics or to the evangelicals that should be part and parcel of our worship and our daily life in the church. And we need to start reclaiming some of them again. Because if anyone despises private absolution, Melanchthon says in paragraph 4, he does not understand what the forgiveness of sins or the power of the keys is. Without private confession absolution, you don't know what forgiveness of sins actually is. You don't understand what the pastor is actually there for. He's there to offer the forgiveness of sins. He's there to do it not just on Sundays, but every day, whenever it is necessary. Now we go on to say that a complete listing of sins is not necessary, and it absolutely isn't. And as I talk to my confirmants, as I teach confession in Bible classes and in sermons, I go on to the fact that in private confession, you confess the sins that are weighing on your mind. Go back to confession in the small catechism. It talks about those things that weigh heavy on your heart, those things that bother you, those things. I'm not sure that the one I got on Sunday was meant for me. Go to your pastor. Confess the sin 
and hear his word saying that that sin is forgiven, completely done, over with. That's the power of the gospel. That's why we keep confession in the Lutheran church, because of the absolution, because of forgiveness. And that is the thing. The Roman theologians wanted to say, well, no, any good judge has to go and investigate, which is why the Roman priests, even today, are trained to probe deeply. Basically, if your confession is not good enough for them, they will probe. They will start asking questions about this, that, and the other commandment, or this, that, and the other tradition to try to dig deeper in getting into a better confession. Why? I have no clue. Probably because they're bored of listening to just general confessions and people talking about, well, I have this problem or I have that problem. And that is the problem. When we start trying to make things up so that other people will be satisfied. Confession is not about the priest. It's not about the pastor. It's about you. And it's about you receiving forgiveness for your sins. And in paragraph 8, Indeed, they absolve us from those sins that we do not remember. That is the great and wonderful thing about the general confession, is that it covers all of them, just like we do in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses whether we know what they are or not. Because we're not going to be condemned because we can't remember every sin that we've committed. Because many times we do them or we don't do something and we don't realize it's a sin. And sometimes we never realize that it was a sin, that there was something that we were supposed to do that we didn't do, or something that we weren't supposed to do that we did. Although more times than not, somebody's going to tell us that we weren't supposed to do it. I mean, Let's face it, people want to have that notion over other people. But confession and absolution is not that place. There is no examination except for you in your heart that leads you there in the first place. That's where the examination happens, is you being contrite over your sins and having the faith to believe that you can be forgiven and that the pastor is there to forgive you. All right, we'll move on into paragraphs 9 through 12. It is ridiculous to apply to this discussion the saying of Solomon, Know well the condition of your flocks, Proverbs 27, 23. For Solomon says nothing about confession. He gives to the father of a family a domestic precept that he should use what is his own and refrain from what is in others. Solomon commands the father to take good care of his own property, yet he should do so in such a way that with his mind occupied with the increase of his resources, he should not cast away the fear of God or faith or care in God's word. But our adversaries, by a wonderful change, transform scripture passages to whatever meaning they please. Here to know means to hear confession, the condition, not the outward life, but the secrets of the conscience. And your flocks mean people. The interpretation is truly neat and is worthy of these haters of pursuing eloquence. If anyone desires to transfer by analogy a precept from a father of a family to a pastor of a church, 
he should certainly interpret the condition as applying to the outward life. This comparison will be more consistent. Let us skip such matters as these. Confession is mentioned at different times in the Psalms. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 32.5 Such confession of sin which is made to God is contrition itself. When confession is made to God, it must be made with the heart, not only with the voice like actors on the stage. Confession is contrition in which feeling God's anger, we confess that God is justly angry and that we cannot be reconciled by our works. Yet we seek for mercy because of God's promise. Such is the following confession. Against you, you only have I sinned, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Psalm 51.4 This means I confess that I am a sinner and have merited eternal wrath. Nor can I set my righteousness, my merits, against your wrath. So I declare that you are just when you condemn and punish us. I declare that you are clear when hypocrites judge you to be unjust in punishing them or in condemning the well-deserving. Yes, our merits cannot satisfy your judgment. But we will be justified in this way, namely if you justify us, if through your mercy you count us righteous. Perhaps someone may also cite James 5.16, Confess your sins to one another. But here the reference is not confession made to priest, but is the reconciliation of brothers to each other. Confession should be mutual. Confession and absolution are all about the promise of the gospel. It is that promise of the comfort of the troubled conscience who is contrite and sorrowful over sin. That is the base, core understanding of confession, absolution, and the Lutheran confessions. And the problem is Melanchthon has to go on for many more pages about this because Rome doesn't get that. They've added so many layers to it, they've forgotten what this kernel actually means. And so we also have the confession must be mutual that the priest, the pastor, is not above confession himself, that it is one that we are to confess to each other, which is one of the wonderful things of the service of Compline, is that the leader of the service, whether the pastor or a lay leader leading it, confesses their sins to the people first and receive absolution from the people, and then the people confess their sins, receiving absolution from the service leader. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. All right, we'll finish off this week with paragraphs 13 through 15. Our adversaries will condemn many well-respected teachers if they will agree that in confession a listing of offenses is necessary according to divine law. We approve of confession and conclude that some examination is helpful so that people may be instructed better. Yet confession must be done in such a way that consciences are not entrapped. They never will be quieted if they think that they cannot receive the forgiveness of sins unless this precise listing is made. What the adversaries have expressed in the confutation is most certainly false. A full confession is necessary for salvation. This is impossible. What traps they lay for the conscience when they require a full confession? When will a conscience be sure that the confession is complete? Church writers mention confession. However, they do not speak about this listing of secret offenses, but about the right of public repentance. 
The fallen or notorious sinners were not received into fellowship without fixed satisfactions. They confessed to the presbyters so that satisfactions might be prescribed to them according to the degree of their guilt. This type of confession has nothing similar to the listing about which we are arguing. This kind of confession was made not because the forgiveness of sins before God could not happen without it, but because satisfactions could not be prescribed unless the kinds of offenses were first known. Different offenses had different rules. And we'll talk more about this next week, especially as we bring in the early church and the idea of satisfactions in the first place. Because when people fell away in persecution and they were very well known about their apostasy, the presbyters and the elders and the bishops of the congregations made sure that they were truly contrite. And since we cannot see into the person's heart, they offered ways of satisfaction to show the fruits worthy of repentance, as John the Baptist would say. And that is not something that is to be done all the time. That is simply in those circumstances what was needed for the pastors to say, yes, these people are contrite. They should be welcomed back into the congregation, back to the communion rail, so that we may call them brothers and sisters again. But in regular confession for you and for me, there's no need for full listing. There's no need for great satisfactions. Because the greatest satisfaction, as we'll see later on in the month of November, the one true satisfaction is Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That one act satisfies for everything. And absolution gives that to you again. All right, that's it for this week. I thank you for being here in the confessional corner with me. Come back next week. We'll talk more about satisfactions and the early church's use of them. Continue listening to Digging Deeper as we go deeper into the Psalter, running the gamut of emotions that are seen in the Psalms. Be here for the moments of meditation, weekday mornings, as well as even Pro Wrestling America on Wednesdays your favorite fantasy wrestling league on the internet. And until next time, this is Pastor Doug Minton wishing you God's richest blessings as you wrestle with theology this week. Amen.